I want to get into today, because I've got about 10 minutes left, um, and uh, I, I want to get into the concept of inheritance. I was up at God First last week, and um, I got to be with my mate, Glenn Campbell, who heads up God First in Joburg, and he's leaving to go plant a church in Atlanta, which is really sad, but, uh, but good for the kingdom. And, uh, and someone got up to honor him, and he said, he, he read this quote, he said, an inheritance isn't what you leave for someone, it's what you leave in someone. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, man, that is profound, but I also want it to be left for me as well as in me. And, and I was just thinking through that. And then I, I bumped into another mate, and he, he said to me, he's explained to me that he's just taken over um, some of the insurance and stuff of, of basically one of the bigger loan sharks in Durban, a man who I'm quite scared of. And, uh, and, and he, said, he said, Ross, the thing I'm terrified of is the day the guy croaks. I said, why? I said, because I'm scared of those children. When you think about inheritances, like they're complex. They're things that don't really often make sense. And all I know is that I dream about some crazy special aunt who's made a lot of money giving me a lot of money. I don't know if you ever think like that. But uh, I thought I would do a bunch of research into inheritance. And, and it's fascinating what you find out. Um, do you know that there are a couple of stories. There was a Portuguese aristocrat who left his fortune to 70 total strangers he randomly chose from a phone directory. There was a, a, a little while ago, there were, two home, there were homeless brothers. They were living in a cave. They inherited more than 100 million euros. What I loved about that story is that when the guy was interviewed, he said, at last, I think I'll be able to find a wife. You give any man 100 million euros, he'll find a wife quick, quick. Uh, then there was, there was this lady, Leona Helmsley, and she's, she was referred to as the Queen of Mean. She left her 12 million fortune to her dog, Trouble. Her brother got 10 million rand to look after it. You just, you just think about people. People's inheritances are just complex and messed up. In fact, the more research you do, the more you find out how badly inheritances go. When you do the research, you find out that, that about 70% of people of high net value who give their inheritances to their children, their children lose the inheritance within two generations, all gone, spent. Inheritances, apparently, they cause, they cause pain because it's seen as guilt money, messes up relationships, which is awesome for me because Geordie's in grace are getting nothing, so, so I know that it's, it's going to be okay. But I, I looked through this stuff and how people with inheritances seem to just struggle. It, it's just mostly bad news apart from one group of people. This one group of people just gets it right. They don't lose all their money. They, in fact, they continuously increase their money. They know how to manage it. This one group of people seem to just be able to take over and just keep generating wealth. You want to know who that group of people is? I heard a couple of people say, yes, the Jews. The Jews are phenomenal when it comes to inheritance. In fact, we should study them. I, I, was, I was looking at um, Jewish people, and more than 100 of the 400 billionaires on Forbes' list of the wealthiest people in America are Jews. Six of the 20 leading venture capitalist funds in the U.S. belong to Jews, and most of those families come from multi-generational wealth. 
What I loved about the, the average Jewish story is that it always started off with nothing. Absolutely nothing. So they arrived, for example, in about the 1880s into New York. And when they got there, they'd been kicked out of countries in, in Europe and Russia. And they arrived there, and they had absolutely nothing. And they lived in slums. And mostly, people were prejudiced towards them. And so they couldn't trade in, in normal ways. So they found specific ways to trade. And then what they would do is they would take whatever little money they had, and they would invest it into educating their kids. And what would happen then is that those kids would come along and the kind of spaza store that they'd been running, the kids would take over and they were well educated and they would use everything they had and, and the community would lift each other up and they would educate their kids as well as they could. And you know what I found as I was studying through how the Jews lived? By the third or fourth generation, all the kids were lawyers or accountants or there was some sort of white collar professional and, and they weren't running spaza stores anymore, they were running franchises. And then by the fourth and fifth generation, you see them move out of the slums and into wealthier areas, and they begin to uplift the Jews around them. It's like biblical Ubuntu. This is what it is. It's, it's like this incredible picture of how to lift up people into wealth and inheritance. And I was thinking about it, and I thought, why? How come they get this so right? And as you start to, to look at the Jews, and you, you look at the Bible, you realize that everything about them is shaped by this word inheritance. Because there are people, a chosen people, who are called into an inheritance. God comes to Abraham and he, he says, I've got an inheritance for you. There's a promise for you. You will become a nation. It's one part of the problems. You will, you will have a land. It's another part of the inheritance. And you will, your name will be great. You'll be wealthy. You'll be blessed. It's another part of the inheritance. And so, as, as even a secular Jew would have listened to the stories about Abraham and listened to the stories about Joshua and Caleb and, and about going to the promised land, what he consistently would have heard is the story about a community going in to take the inheritance, warring with God over cities like Jericho. They would have heard those stories again and again, how God came alongside them as they warred for their inheritance and took back the land, took the thing that God had made up for them, which in our thinking is weird. Because when we think, when you and I think about inheritance, we think about something that lands on a silver platter when someone dies. But when Jews think about inheritance, they think about something that we possess, that we go out to get, that God has promised us and God will be with us, but we still have to get it. And this thinking, it shapes everything about how they raise children, how they think about wealth. And, and so wealth goes from one generation to the next and it's, it's increased so that they can serve the next generation. To be a Jew means that your identity is that you're a, you're a chosen nation and your purpose is to possess the inheritance. Identity is I'm a chosen nation, and my purpose is that I'll possess the inheritance. And what they have an understanding of, it's very, very different to, to Western culture. What they have an understanding of is that we do this as, as a people. We all work. It's multi-generational, and it's community-driven. It's not just about me. It's about all of us. And, and together, we possess the land. And, and, and the thinking is, when we possess the land, 
Then nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your dawn. When they possess the land, when they possess all of their inheritance, then the rest of the world will look at them and go, God is real and God is on them. That's, it's given purpose to their inheritance. So you can understand that if you're a Jew growing up, you would read scriptures like this. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Now, most of us, when we had, if, if any of you had a boy, if any of you had children, the first thing you thought was, I wonder how I can make him into Tiger Woods so that I can retire when he's 21. This is just how we think. But to be a Jewish person, to be a Jewish father, you're thinking and you're wondering how you can make enough money so that you can buy your children's children homes so their starting point is no debt. It's, it's so utterly different. Inheritance is what drives them. They think good. They feel good about themselves when they live that out. You know, the reason there are so many disaster inheritance stories in the, in the West is that we don't attach our identity and our purpose to the inheritance. And the result is that we don't train people to handle the inheritance. We don't attach their purpose to the inheritance. And so what, what we have is fathers who are amassing huge amounts of money for their kids to enjoy. There's no purpose in it. This is why it doesn't last. The Jews are amassing huge amounts of money so that their kids can, can inherit and give and create wealth and raise up an entire people just changes everything. Now, the reason I wanted to spend so much time on the thinking of inheritance is that if you've been in church for the last two weeks, so like 10 of you, um, what you would have noticed is that Gary spoke probably two weeks in a row about the prodigal son. And I'm going to speak about the prodigal son, but I want to look at it from a completely different angle. I don't think any of you would have thought of it from this angle. So listen, don't like switch off because we're going into it again. But the prodigal son story viewed through the lens of inheritance. Remembering that the Bible considers someone who despises inheritance like Esau as evil. Okay. Viewing it through a Jewish mind, it changes this entire story. So if you don't know the story of the prodigal son, what happens is there's a, a father who, who grows up and obviously has a, a, some amount of wealth. He's got a farm. He has two sons. He's got a reprobate son, and he's got a, another son who's, who's kind of very stoic. And so the reprobate son comes to him, the prodigal son, and he says, I want my inheritance now, which is an insult to the father. It's basically to say, I wish you were dead. And, and so the father does something that would have been unheard of in Israel. He gives the inheritance, his part of the inheritance. So in those days, if there were two sons, the first son would get two-thirds of the inheritance. The second son would get a third. So, so the father gives a third of the inheritance to the younger son. The younger son goes off and he, he snorts a bunch of coke and he, he has prostitutes over and he, he wrecks it in in going to Cabana and drinking Blue Label, and he's just, he just wastes all his money and gets to the bottom of the barrel, and he comes back. He comes back to be a servant. But when he comes back, 
It says, so he returned home to the father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, and filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. I'm, I need some people. Tomorrow I need you and your wallet. Siebs, why don't you come up, and, and Justy, why don't you come up here, and uh, I, I just, you props. Um, have you got your wallet? Okay, so Timo's going to be the father. Siebs, you can be the older brother. Sorry, Bri. And, and here's what, it's wonderful giving away other people's money. Um, here's what happens. The father, he gives, he keeps Siba's inheritance. He gives Justy, it's Indonesian stuff. Not going to help you, nothing. Um, he, he, he gives him his inheritance, and he goes and he blows it. And now he has absolutely nothing. It's spent. It's done. And he comes back. And when he comes back to the father, the father rushes out, and you can give him a nice hug. Incredible acting. Okay, there we go. And the father takes a ring, puts it on his finger, which is a sign of authority. It's like a credit card. He has signing rights again. He puts a robe on his shoulders, which is, now I adopt you back. I, I give you my acceptance and my belonging into my home. And he puts shoes on his feet because the servants would have, would have gone barefoot. And, and so now he's got sandals, which means he's no longer a servant. And this incredible heart... And I don't want you to miss out on the heartbeat of the Father to the Son and how He's looking out. And if you're not with Christ, God is looking out for you. But what I do want you to understand is that by making Him a son again, the inheritance is smaller. See, nobody really focuses on this, but if you make Him a son, what you're doing is you're forgiving Him for what He's done wrong you're bringing him back into the family. And now, as a father, you need to share the inheritance because you can't have a son living as a servant. That's not true sonship. A son lives off the father. And so someone is paying for this. And so he's mad. <laughs> <laughs> It says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing him, sorry, by <laughs> killing the fattened calf. <laughs> you were going to kill him. Though there's so much orphan-heartedness in this older brother, it just isn't fair. The father has been deeply humiliated 
by this whole experience. So he has offense at the father's humiliation, and he has offense at the fact that he's just lost his inheritance. He's mad. I want you to know, this story comes in the context of a lost coin and a lost sheep. And at the end of both of those stories, it ends with how much more will my father celebrate or the angels in heaven celebrate when one lost sheep returns? Or, or how much more does, does God get glory when one son returns? The whole message of these three parables is about the lost. And here's what Jesus is saying when you dig into the story, because he's telling a story about an elder son who has to sacrifice, but actually he knows that he is the older son who will sacrifice. He is the older son who will take not just a little loss of his inheritance, who will take torture and be wrecked and rejected by the father and shamed and he'll be utterly destroyed so that he can bring the prodigal back. See, this story is really all about Jesus and the heart of the Father. And it's, it's so powerful because it, it takes the thinking of me existing for me and my, my wealth and all of that. And what Jesus is actually doing is he's trying to tame, change the entire paradigm of what it means to have an inheritance. Because up until now, it's all been about my land and wealth and me making the most of my life. And Jesus is going, I want you to understand that the, the whole inheritance deal, it's changed. Now, it's about bringing sons to the Father. Now, it's about being connected to the Father. It's being, inheritance is that I would be connected to the vine. I would, I would have the, the joy and the peace and the fruit of God that I would, I would live in connection. Thank you. You two need to stay. You work for me. He doesn't. Okay. Your greatest inheritance isn't your land. It's being with the Father. Your purpose isn't amassing wealth, it's amassing souls. The gift we should seek isn't roast lamb, it's spiritual gifts. We're not supposed to be slaving for, we're meant to be working with the Father. Your, your greatest longing, your greatest joy doesn't come from the stuff the Father gives, it comes from being connected to the vine. And so your identity as a son of the Father is connected to your purpose, which is to build his kingdom and change this world. And so when, when you read what scripture says about inheritance, it says, according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive the salvation, which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad. There is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you have to endure many trials for a little while. We're going to grab this prodigal. And we're saying, there is an inheritance for you, there is an inheritance for you, stored up in heaven. And Jesus says stuff like this. If you just give a cup of water to someone, my Father in heaven will reward you. 
He, he says, if you, if you sacrifice houses and, and family and etc. For, for God, it will be multiplied. Here's the thinking. Where's your wallet? You took it back. You're hectic. You put it <laughs> Here's the thinking. You use this now, it's inherited. It's done. You give it here, whatever it is, it gets multiplied. This is, this is the thinking. Jesus is trying to get us to shift in our thinking. You better give him back as whatever those things are. It's about one round fifties worth right there. There's inheritance for you in heaven, but there's inheritance on earth. It says, these trials will show that your faith is genuine. It is being tested as fire tests and purifies gold, though your faith is far more precious than mere gold. So when your faith remains strong through many trials, it will bring you much praise and glory and honor on the day when Jesus Christ is revealed to the whole world. You love him, even though you haven't seen him. Though you do not see him now, you trust him and you rejoice, and listen to these words, with a glorious, inexpressible joy. Ames and I are doing renovations at the moment. I'm getting quite good at it. You're staying there. And uh, you do it enough times, you start to get good at it. And I, I thought to myself the other day, I thought, man, we'll probably be doing, re- we'll probably be doing renovations for the rest of our lives. That our kids, <laughs> because we want our kids to go to good schools, and because because we want to give them an inheritance. But that's not the inheritance we give our children. Now I want to speak to you, Olive Tree. If we're going to be the church God's called us to be, we have to think differently about inheritance. It has to actually consume us and drive us. You see, Justy is like a spiritual son to me. He, uh, don't cry and don't make me cry. He uh, was in youth with me like 30 years ago when we were still young and good looking and he didn't look like Jesus. <laughs> he is in many ways my spiritual son. And I want to give him an inheritance. And the inheritance I give him has to be the kingdom of the Father. And so the inheritance I give him and the inheritance I give my little boy, Geordie, is that when I have the worst week of my ministry career, which probably might have happened last week, I get on my knees, I share with a son, and then I get on my knees and seek the presence of God so hard that he can see what it looks like for a man to be connected to the vine so that when he hits the toughest week of his ministry life, he knows what to do about it. What, what I do for my sons is when my wife and I are going through hell for a few years, I keep plugging at it and plugging it and repenting and getting back up and duffing it and getting back up so that when he hits a wall, he will see what spiritual sons should do. They should be like spiritual fathers so that they will get up and fight for their marriage, so that their kids will fight for their marriage, so that they'll get an inheritance to live off. And I want him to see that when I hit complex situations that there seems absolutely no way through, 
God has spiritual gifts of discernment and wisdom and prophecy for me. And I want him to see me face those, have no idea what to do, and dig into the word of God and dig into his presence to access gifts so that I can walk through them. Because if I can teach him that, if I can give that to him, then as a son, he can walk places I couldn't go. I want him to see the fruit. I want him to see the spiritual gifts at work. I want him to understand a relationship with the Father. And I want him to see that this is what we're about. This is what life's about. It's not about enjoying, it's about creating a generation of wealth after you, but wealth in things that are spiritual. I want him to see me read a newspaper and look at all the rubbish that's going on in our country and then be able to say, but this is how God sees it. I want him to see me with the lost, with a person who's far from God. And I want him to see my heartbreak for where that person's at. It's inheritance. And some of you parents dedicated your kids and you're incredible parents anyway. But the inheritance you give them isn't the private school they go to, it's the spiritual depth and weight that you pour out to them so that they can go out and make a difference in this world. So that they can face this world knowing that when it gets unbelievably tough and depression is knocking on the door, they have a savior who can minister into their hearts. You know the things I remember of my father? are times when he took me out hunting big game that was wounded and, and it was bad situations. And I knew that I was safe because I was with him. And you know what that taught me? That I am safe when I'm with my heavenly father. And so I take my little boy out fishing in deep seas that mom thinks is crazy. And I tell him, why are you safe? And he says, because I'm with you, dad, and God's on our side. Friends, your job is creating an inheritance. It cannot happen if you do not pursue God with all your heart and soul and mind. And the Father wants to shape you into the Son that creates an inheritance that reaches the nations. So thank you, beautiful people. Off you go. Give them a hand, weren't they good sons and fathers? And I want to pray for people who've probably landed up there and you want to be back there. For some of you, you, you don't know the Father. And today is a chance for you to come back to the Father. And for others of you, you've just been amassing wealth, stuff. And God's asking you to amass spiritual blessing. And so I'm going to lead us in a, in a prayer of repentance. I'm going to ask you to stand. And if there's anyone who, um, who doesn't know the Father, you want to come back to the Father. You, you don't have a relationship with the Father. If that's you and you want to ask Jesus into your life, why don't you lift up your hands? Is there anyone in here? Is there anyone? 
Okay, one person. See your hand, bud. Two. See your hand. Anyone else? For those two, the prayer is this. It's Jesus, thank you for being the older brother who took the hit, who took my sin on the cross, who, who took what I couldn't take so that I could come to the Father. And now you crouch, you say, Father, please fill me with your love by your Holy Spirit and please seal my adoption. And I want to pray for us as a church because I think a lot of our lives are about amassing wealth and enjoyment and stuff. And our focus is on the private school and good things. But we have a heavenly father who's saying, will you make, will you let your inheritance consume you? And will you shift direction? And so I want to lead you in a prayer that I, I pray from time to time. I just want to say, Father, forgive me for I have been caught in the world and the world's thinking. And I know that will not give life. So I want to step back and make you and your kingdom my everything. So Jesus, please just come into my life and just shift me. Let my heart burn again for you. Let my soul long for you. And God, will you begin to water it into new life in Jesus' name. Amen. May God bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. God bless.